today. In case you didn't notice, the Miller family is back with us today, and they are now moving to Storm Lake, Iowa, so they were in the, they're sort of in the vicinity, close enough to make the drive down and hang out with us, so it's great having them back. Hopefully we'll see a lot more of them. We, uh, we went out and ate some delicious prime rib last night, didn't we, guys? Good and bloody. They were petrified. They don't, they're like, that, that thing is still moving on your plate. That's like, thank you, Jesus. That's how he ate his, so... Well, we're going to dive right in today. I want to share some stuff with you guys that the Lord showed me here a few weeks ago. And so I, I, this doesn't happen often. I shouldn't say it doesn't happen often. It doesn't happen often where it's an imperative of, of something that I needed to share. But I wanted to share something with you guys. And we're still, it still fits in with what we're talking about. But as we've been going through this, we've been looking at the idea of this alternate reality. Seeing things through the lens of how God sees things. You have the reality of the world that we live in. The things we see, touch, feel, smell, all of that. But we have the reality of where we're from. And if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are in a world that you are not a part of. And if that is true, then with that comes certain parameters. And there's a reason for all of this. And the fact that we have entered into a new covenant. And this new covenant is better than the one that pre, uh, preceded it. Because it's based off of what God had done and has done. Not based off of what we do. So we cannot earn our salvation because there is no works of the law that will ever make you right. And we've changed the definitions of words, and we've said, well, the works means you've got to be baptized, or you've got to do this, you've got to do that. That's not what it was talking about in Scripture. It is literally talking about the works of the law. And we've lost that idea because the antithesis of the Mosaic Covenant is the new. Because now God has fulfilled what we could not do, and that's wonderful. And with that comes a lot of benefits, wonderful benefits. One, we are saved from death. Our bodies will die, but that's not us anyway. The reality is, is the person that God created inside of you, your spirit, that's you. Thank God. How many of y'all believe that person has abs? Hallelujah. That's right. But we're also saved from the wrath of God. That his wrath has subsided because of what Jesus has done. And now we are a participant with that. And we have been set free from sin. We can choose sin, but we are not under the bonds of it anymore. It no longer controls us unless we choose it. We don't have to live in fear. Because we have nothing to fear. Death is the greatest thing that could ever happen to a person that has no hope of a future. What, this, this now pales in comparison. I mean, we cry when people we love die. But man, if they're, if they're, if they're in Christ, I don't know why we're crying. Like, it, it hurts when you lose a loved one. But you're like, man, I mean, it's so much better. The prime rib is cooked perfect every time. Stay with me here. That's all right. Squirrels with knives. That's what it is. See, we also have access to God. We also have peace with God. See, because of this new covenant, it comes with benefits. And those are some of them. That we now can go to God anytime. We enter into the Holy of Holies through the veil, which is His flesh. And as a result of that, we live in the presence of God. It's a wonderful thing. So the Mosaic Covenant hinged on what you could do, but the new covenant hinges upon what Jesus has done. And everything promised in that covenant is a guarantee. Everything promised in a previous covenant was a guarantee from God. And they knew it. And they walked in it. The problem we have is we don't get it. You see, the greatest gift from God is His grace. That we are redeemed. That He has given us something that we couldn't possibly have earned. That's His greatest gift. It's where we find salvation. It's where we walk in all the things uh, as far as that goes, as far as this covenant goes, this salvation, this idea, that's the greatest gift from God. But there is a second. Nothing's more important than salvation. I would rather somebody be saved and die with cancer. 
I would rather somebody be saved and starved to death. I want to do humanitarian stuff, but I would rather your flesh be destroyed than your spirit live. If I have to choose. Fortunately, we don't have to choose. So we have this amazing gift from God, but the second most important thing is the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit. Look at John 14. Verse 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So He gave us a promise of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. That is so powerful. You see, we saw as we looked through the Scriptures that every aspect of Jesus' life involved the Holy Spirit. The prophecy. John the Baptist and his parents all filled with the Holy Spirit. His conception through the power of the Holy Spirit. His baptism when the Spirit comes upon him and he began to do miracles. He didn't do miracles because he was Jesus. He did miracles because he was empowered with the Holy Spirit. His entire ministry was through the power of the Spirit. His death was through the power of the Spirit. His resurrection was through the power of the Spirit. And even after that, as He gave commands to His disciples, it says He was led by the Spirit. Every part of it was led by the Holy Spirit. And then in John 16, He says, But now I go away to Him who sent me, and none of you ask me where you are going. And because I have said these things, their sorrow has filled your heart. But nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For I, if I do not go, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. For Jesus to say it's to your benefit that I leave, can you imagine? Can you imagine? These men who had followed him for three years, and he's saying, listen, you just got the appetizer. It's about to get better. Like, we can't fathom that. That tells us how important this was. And we saw that they received the Spirit when he breathed on them at the end of John. He said, receive the Spirit. But then he told them to wait in Acts and the end of Luke for the Holy Spirit to come upon him. We began to look at this idea of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the distinction of the baptism of the Spirit, which is where we're born again, and the baptism in the Holy Spirit is where we're empowered. And both are crucial. In fact, it was never intended for it to be separated. You know who separated it? We did. We turned it into two distinctions. Because it is distinct. However, a fulfilled man, the man of God equipped for everything, must be baptized with the Spirit. Sometimes it says filled. And so as we get into today, I'm not deviating from that, but I'm taking it a step further because the Lord showed me something a few weeks ago. I got a vision of something. I told you this before. He shows me things in pictures. And so as I work through this, I just want you to stay with me and just understand, I promise I'm going somewhere with this, Okay. Look at Psalm 103. David wrote this psalm. Verse 1, you're probably familiar with it. Psalm 103, verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Now, why is he saying that? Do you realize when he's saying, Bless the Lord, it's a a worship. We have songs that we sing. We have words that we use. But he's worshiping. Bless the Lord. Does the Lord need your blessings? No, this is for you. He's saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Look what he says. All that is within me, bless His holy name. You've heard me say it, with all that we have and all that we are, every fiber of our being, Lord, we just worship You. Where do you think that came from? Right here. Because I see one of the greatest men in history, David, just worshiping. All that is within me, 
Bless His holy name. And then he says in verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Now why do you think he said that? Because apparently, sometimes we get a little forgetful. Sometimes we forget things. Look what he says. He goes and lists them. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? Doesn't that sound wonderful? Now, he said that in a covenant that's not like ours. His covenant was completely different. Ours is better. Imagine what that would mean for us today. He forgives your iniquities. I like that. He heals all your diseases. I like that. He redeems your life from destruction. I like that. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. I like that. And he satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I like How many of y'all would like to be a little youthful once again? Mike and I were talking this morning as his little ones sprinted into the church. And Mike slowly walking behind them, trying to keep up. You could bottle that energy. You could retire. It'd be wonderful. Man, you see, these are his benefits. Why were they his benefits? Well, the benefit is something that you get as a result of the relationship, as a result of the covenant. You guys with me? It's not anything that you have to walk in, but it certainly is a benefit. Keep that in mind as we go forward. I want you guys to look at Mark chapter 4. We're going to go through one parable today. We're looking at Mark chapter 4, we're going to look at Luke chapter 8. And I want to show you some things in here. I've taught on some of this stuff before, but there was something that was revealed to me this, I say this week because it feels like it, but it was probably a month or so ago. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. It says, and again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat, and he sat in it on, on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables, and he said to them this teaching. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. And some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of, earth, depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in bearable. So who is the you? The you is the disciples. The people who have devoted their life to follow him. Don't just think the twelve. We always think the twelve. There's a multitude following him. But who are the they? To those. Basically everybody else. He said, Seeing. They may see and not perceive and hearing. They may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Look at verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So this one seems to be very crucial. This seems to be the key that will unlock every other parable. Is that fair? It's almost as like, well, how do you not understand this? Hello? So let's look at it. Verse 14. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones that are by the wayside. Where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. They likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. Who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves. And so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. 
Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, some 100. You know there's three parts to that. They hear the word, they accept it, and they bear fruit. So we've got four soils here. I think I've got a chart, if you would. Yep. As we see here in the four soils, as this laid out, you've got the wayside, and it says that that seed was sown, but Satan came and stole it. Okay? Don't know much about him. We just know that's what happened. You've got the rocky, yours may say stony. The word was received with gladness, so they took it in, but tribulation and persecution arise, and what does it do? Chokes it out. Becomes fruitless. You've got the thorny soil, which is the cares of the world. Again, they receive it with gladness. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things do what? They choke out that seed. And then, of course, you've got the good soil who bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, in an in, in agricultural term, back then, if they got a tenfold return off after planting, that was pretty good. I'm sure y'all would be disappointed with that. You'd be like, we're going to go find something else to do. But back then, you got 30, you got 60, you got 100, you were, you were killing it. So there are four types of soil, all the same seed. Isn't that interesting? All the same seed, four different results. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 8. Because in Luke here, he gives us a little bit more detail. We're going to start in verse 4. And when a great multitude had gathered, and they come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when he said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest is given in parables that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. So now it tells us what the seed is. The word of God. Y'all have one of these? You guys remember you used to carry these around? It's the only way you could read it back in the day. Back in that day you had to have a massive scroll. But it's the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. Now watch this. Lest they should believe and be saved. That's new information. We didn't have that before. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, but in a time of temptation they fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So now we've got a little bit more information here. If we pull this one up, we see very... Uh, obviously that the seed was stolen by Satan. But why was it stolen by Satan? Lest they should believe and be saved. That tells me that this group here, not born again, not in covenant. The seed was sown, the seed being the word, but the devil comes and he steals that seed from their heart unless they believe it and be saved. That's the only group that says that about. That implies something, doesn't it? It implies that the, while these group may not be born again, these three are. Okay? That's the distinction. Because they receive it with joy and gladness. But in tribulation, persecution, or temptation, and in this case, in the thorny, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, and the pleasures of life. Now, what is the moral of the parables? 
the moral of the parables is not even about the seed. It's about the fruit. Because they're comparing him, Jesus is, to the good soil. About producing fruit. Would you plant something if you could not harvest it? I sure hope not. Some of y'all crazy people might, just like digging in the dirt. But you wouldn't do that. The purpose of the parable is to distinguish those of the good soil who produce fruit. But we also see why those who don't, don't. Because sometimes you receive the word with gladness, you get excited. And things are good, and God is good, and He is faithful, and He is mighty, and He is powerful. And then all of a sudden, tribulation comes. Trouble comes. Things happen. Oh my God. Where are you at? Lord, why me? Why did you let this happen to me? Don't you know I'm a good person? Anybody else had those pity parties? Anybody else? Because I have. Or maybe it's persecution. For the word's sake. That happens. Not so much here. Other parts of the world. Sometimes it's just easier to go with the flow than to make waves. And sometimes it's temptation. Tempted by the enemy. It can pull you away. But it doesn't mean you're not saved. Because you received the word. It just means you've never produced fruit. And then you've got this one of the thorny. Where what happens? Well, it's the cares of this world. Well, what world should we be focused on? The one we're from. What are the cares of this world? Pick them. Pick whatever you want. How about the deceitfulness of riches? Why did God say, or Jesus say that you can't serve God and mammon? Mammon being the, the uh, Assyrian god of wealth. Because you will be driven to chase nothing but that. Have you guys ever seen somebody like that? I have a family member like that. Grew up in the same church I did. Served on the worship team. Was at every meeting I was at. Saw the move of God, powerful and all of that. Deceitfulness of riches got in. To this day, it's all he cares about. It happens. Desire for other things. What other things? You know what that word other means in Greek? Literally all the other things. It can be pick anything. Desire for other things. What what things should you be desiring? God. So the desire for other things. Or the pleasures of life. I just want to enjoy life. I just want to put in my time. I want to go to work. I want to go home. I just want to enjoy life. Is that what we're called to do? You've got to be careful. You see, these four soils are important, and understanding them are crucial because apparently that will unlock all the parables. This will help us to understand all of them. And guess what? We're not going to read all the other ones. But the question we never ask, we ask about the soils, we ask about the point, the purpose about fruit bearing we even ask what the seed is it's the word of God you know what we don't ask who's the sower who would the sower be don't say God there's only one group that fits that criteria that means that when a seed has been sown onto good ground that a harvest has been taken. And then that harvest does what? Produces more seed that raises another harvest. And when that harvest is collected, then what? They produce more seed. And it just, it's the ultimate pyramid scheme. Jesus invented Amway. Isn't that wonderful? But think about that. Jesus said that there are four groups of people. Which one do you want to be? 
Which one are you? Don't shout it out. See, here's the problem. And this is where I want to begin. Is that a few weeks ago, I've always spent time praying. I start every day in this room, I spend time praying every morning. And then I go about my day doing whatever, I'm studying, preparing, or whatever else. And a few weeks ago, I had some electrical I needed to run, some wiring I needed to run. And I'm just praying, God, because something has bothered me for many years. In fact, the better part of my life, it has bothered me. And I've shared a few of these stories with you. Is that I've never understood how the church here, not here, Grace Church, in America, okay? The church that I grew up in, are not moved to be good. I've never understood that. At some point or another, we kind of fit just about any of those, okay? You could wake up one morning, be a little rocky. You could wake up another morning, be a little thorny. You could wake up the next morning, just be grouchy. I mean, whatever. At some point or another, you fit them all. But it's like, why are we not on mission for God? And I remember as a child, as I've told you guys a few of the stories where I'd gotten opportunities to share the gospel with people as a child and see conversion and see things take place sometimes, not every time. But it's like, that's all I... That's all I knew. It's like, we are supposed to be doing this. And it's like, God radically saved me from a life that was pretty good. Because I wasn't a bad kid. But it was like something transformed in my life. I'll never forget the day that I got filled with the Spirit. I'll tell you this story. Is, is we had a guest minister in. I couldn't even tell you who this man was. And he's praying for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I knew what that was. I heard him talk about it. I'm, a, I'm young. I'm, I'm not even probably in high school yet. And so I went up to be prayed, prayed for, and the man put his hands on me, and as I'm praying, I've got my hands up and my eyes closed, and if you've ever seen, like, uh, the credits in a movie, the black and then, like, white words going up, I'd see, like, this one word, but it wasn't anything I recognized, it was gibberish. And then I'd see another one, and then I'd see another one, and I'm like, what is this? And the man is praying for me, he's like, just say what you see. And I'm like, well, how do you know I see anything? And so I began to just say it out, speaking in tongues. Now, that didn't happen for everybody. I don't often share that story because everybody's like, okay, well, I'm waiting for something like that. It's irrelevant. But I'm just telling you. And like from that day on, I got serious about it. I'll never forget, Mike will appreciate this, I used to do some roofing, okay? Wasn't a good roofer. I'm not for hire. You'll be thankful later, okay? But we had just had these incredible meetings um, going on, and I mean, the power of God was moving, and my wife can attest to this, like, when we were young, we were dating, um, and, and we would just, a bunch of teenagers would get together at the church and just pray uh, during the summer. We'd just get together and pray. I mean, things were happening. It was, it was pretty powerful, and we'd had one of those services, and y'all probably remember these, like, there is no end time inside. It's just like, whenever. We don't know, and it was just powerful, and I got to be at the job site at like 7 a.m. the next day, and I was not a morning person then. Okay? I wasn't an anything person then. I, I, but, but I mean, I got up and I mean, I was just, I was energetic. And I got up there with my coworker, which is this guy I went to school with. Uh, there was only two of us and then, of course, the boss. And he had to run and get materials. It was always convenient. When it was time to tear off, he had to go get materials. Isn't that something? When all the hard work started. Mike, you're not that way, are you? Of course not. But, so we started tearing off and he was just asking, like, what'd you do last night? I said, man, we just had this incredible time. And I said, we were just at church and we were praying. And, and, uh, and I said, we were just like, like God just was there. And it was so powerful. I could feel it. And I said, man, and I used the term drunk in the spirit. Well, that got his attention. Because he liked drunk in the natural a lot. And so he's like, what is that? And I was kind of explaining. I was like, I don't really know how to explain it well. But 
it's just weird. Like the, the power of God just kind of comes over you and it's almost like you're not 100% in control. I mean, you are, but you're not. I didn't know how to explain it. He's like, that sounds awesome. I'm like, it's pretty awesome. He's like, can we do it now? And I'm like, dude, we're standing on a roof. That doesn't seem like a great idea. I don't think the boss would appreciate that. But I began to share the gospel with this guy. You know, and he listened. Again, was he saved that day? No, of course not. But I mean, this is like, this is my world. This is all I knew. And it always bothered me because it's like, why, why do I feel like I'm alone? Why do I feel like nobody else shares the mandate? Like, Jesus told me to do something. When my parents tell me to do something, if I don't do it, there's a consequence. But when Jesus tells me to do something, there is no immediate consequence. And it just bothered me. And, and even going through Bible school and being in ministry for 20 years, it's like, how can we sit in church every week and not be transformed by what we see, what we hear, what we feel? How can we not? It just bothered me. And so it still bothers me to this day. And so I'm praying. And as I'm praying, there were several things that went on. I'm going to share two pieces with you guys. The first thing I saw was like these clay vessels about, you know, about chest high. They were big. And um, they all said, there was a bunch of them. And they all said God on it. Just God. And as I looked over, I got a glimpse inside of them, and they were all empty. And I'm like, what on earth is this? And then I was reminded that we don't take his name in vain. Which means we don't, we don't take the name of God and then live our lives however we want. We represent Him. And yet, here are all these vessels who fit the three criteria because they have the name of God on them. But they're empty inside. There's no spirit. There's the renewed spirit, but I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. And there was something that, in that moment, it's like, wait a minute. So maybe that's the key. Like, maybe that's what's not driving people because we don't want the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus said, I'm going to send the helper. You know what they could have said? It's okay. We're good. And when he said, listen, I want you to hang out in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. You know what they could have said? That's all right. Because you didn't tell us when we get to go home. Like, I miss my family. I used to fish. It was awesome. We have a bunch of empty vessels, not full of the Spirit. Why? For these reasons. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, the pleasures of life, the tribulation, the persecution, the temptation. You see, because the things of this world are big, but the things of God are small. Let me show you another thing that I have. So I want to put this picture up of the temple here. Now I'm going to explain this to you guys. Uh, most of you guys are aware of this, but there's several parts and aspects of the temple, and this is even a small portion of everything. But you see, like, the beautiful gate there, okay? So this is where the Gentile court... So what happened at the gate? Beautiful. Stand up. What I have... I don't have silver and gold, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Stand up and walk. That's that, okay? That's where he went in. It was on the east side. And anybody could go out there. It was called the Gentile courtyard. Now, these have different names that they go by, but the Gentile courtyard was everybody in their... In, it didn't matter where they were from. Because remember, Gentiles were not covenant people. They were not allowed through any of those gates. Paul got accused of bringing Gentiles in there, if you remember, in the book of Acts. And so they could not go, but they could hang out there. But if you were a Jew or you were a proselyte Jew, 
you got to go into this. This is called the uh, outer court. It says women's courtyards there, but it's called the outer court. It's called the women's courtyard because that's where the women were allowed to go. They were not allowed into, want to take a stab at what that one's called? The inner court. Good, way to keep up. Y'all are doing well. So the outer court is where Jesus flipped tables. Where there was trading that was going on and bringing, you know, like, and some of it was, was out of necessity because they were traveling a long distance to get there to bring a sacrifice or whatnot. And so they would, you know, instead of dragging a bunch of farm animals with them, they just buy some when they got there. But it became something sinful, let's just say, and that is why Jesus drove them out. He made a whip. Isn't that cool? That's loving peace Jesus. Making a whip, chasing them out. And so this would go on here, and there was a lot of things that would happen. This is where people would congregate. This is where people would hang out. They would meet up. Uh, there was other things that would take place in here, and there was a lot to this. But this was the outer court. No sacrifices were made here. This is just kind of where they hung out. But if you wanted to worship God, you know what you had to do? You had to take said animal and take it to the inner court. That's where the priests were. And the priests would be there ready to receive that sacrifice for you on your behalf. And they would take the animal and they would slaughter it in whatever manner. And they would burn it on the altar, however it was, depending on, on the type of offering that it was. And from there would take the blood or the different portions of the water. And then they would go into the holy place, which is the inside. We can go to the next image here real quick. Inside here is the holy place. Now you can see it's all decked out with gold and you got a picture of the high priest there. But this is where the priest would go. And you had the table of showbread and the menorah. And you had the altar of incense. And all of this was a part of worship. They were required every week to change out the bread. They'd have to tend to it. They would go in there. It kind of seems weird to us. It doesn't make sense because they would constantly be about this stuff. Like, like why do you keep trading out the bread? Why do we need fresh bread? They would eat the old bread. They'd put new in there. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And they would bring this incense in and they would burn more. And it would fill the room. That's what the priest would do. But you know who didn't go in there? Whoever brought the sacrifice. See, they would act as a go-between for them. But then, one guy, this high priest, dressed in a different outfit, would go in here one day a year to the Holy of Holies, the holy place. And he would go in there and re representing the nation of Israel on the Day of Atonement and sacrifice for that nation, bringing atonement to the nation, setting them free for another year, sins atoned for, nations to set up. We're in good shape. Life is good. So there's a lot to this, a lot more to it than I'm giving you today. And I've talked about some of this stuff in the past. But if you go back to that other image for me, Neil. This is what the Lord showed me. You see, here in the outer court, this is where the Jews just kind of hung out. And they would talk. And they would talk about God, but they would talk about other things. If you imagine it, it's kind of like when we all just kind of come in and congregate. And we just kind of hang out. And we're talking about what we did this week or what's going on after service or who won the football game. And, and if you're a Nebraska fan, you know who didn't win the football game. So that's easy. You know, so, I mean, there was just a lot of stuff like that that would be going on. But if you were going to worship, you had to go into the inner court. But what it became is it wasn't that you went in. See, originally when this was set up, they would go in with their animal. They would place their hands upon it as it would begin to be sacrificed. And that blood would be poured out. And they were becoming one with that animal bringing atonement. But what was happening in, because there were so many people, is they would bring their animal to the gate and drop it off. And then go back about their day. And here's what the Lord showed me. You see, the church today wants to bring an offering. And they want to drop it off. But they don't want to press into the presence of God. We don't want to go into the inner court. 
We don't want to go into the holy place. We don't want to go into the holy of holies. Because to do that takes a certain kind of commitment. It's not allowing the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of life to distract you. By going in there, you can't help but bear fruit. Because in the holy of holies is where the presence of God was. And there was something that I never understood until just a few weeks ago is that you could be in one of those services and sometimes man, the tangible presence of God is so strong. You read about it in the Old Testament as an example when Solomon dedicated the temple and the priest couldn't even get in. The presence of God was so thick they just couldn't even get into the room. But the, here it was like the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies and, and I'm like, God, here you pour yourself out and, and you be in a service and you see people, some people crying and then you see some people with their hands up and some people on their knees and some people would come up front. We always call this the altar. And they would come up and they'd just, they'd just be crying out to God. But then you'd also see people that were standing there. They'd be standing like this, looking at their watch. Like, is this guy ever going to shut up? And it's like, how can two people in the same room have a completely different experience? didn't make sense to me until it dawned on me that much of us want to bring that offering. See, we want the name of God. We want God's benefits. We don't want God. Because if you want God, you cannot stay in the outer court. You have to go into the inner court and bring that offering. But there is no priesthood today. And then you take that sacrifice of praise and you take it into the holy place where that incense is burning, those prayers, that worship is going up. But if you want to experience God, you've got to go into the Holy of Holies. You've got to press in to the Holy of Holies where the presence of God is. And guess what? We have access to that now. Why? Because it's through His flesh. Is that veil. See, too many people want to stay in the outer court. See, this is what the Lord is showing me. We want God's benefit. We don't want God. Because we're not concerned with bearing fruit. Because the sower, it's not God. It's always one of the people who was reaped in a harvest. And they took it seriously. Jesus taught in the outer court. Every time you read about him teaching, that's where it was. It's in the outer court. Or the Solomon's uh, porch and all these other places began to get a little convicted. I began to pray, God, why? 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 See, look at Psalm 103 again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We want verse 3 and on. But it starts with, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. All I have is yours, Lord. It belongs to you. Your benefits, the benefits of being in covenant with God are just kind of like the icing on the cake. We're got to be a people that press in. Now look at Matthew 19 here. Verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do 
that I may have eternal life. Now understand, this is underneath a, a, an old covenant. And he said to him, well, why do you call me good? No one is good but that one, or but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. When he said, which ones? And Jesus said, you should not murder, commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Now, he's probably proud of this. He's like, I've done all of this. Am I missing anything? And Jesus said, you want to be perfect? Go, sell what you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. See, Jesus is identifying what's holding him back in the outer court. Look at his response. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great professions, possessions, deceitfulness of riches, cares for other things. You can be saved and never press in. But Jesus told a parable that unlocks all the parables. That's to bear fruit. The kingdom is not meant to be an extra blessing tagged onto a comfortable life. It must be all-consuming or it is no longer the kingdom. That's why it typically appeals to people who have less to lose. That's why Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. Because he knows that parable. Look at those soils again. See, this is what the Spirit of God is saying. Many of us have been praying for revival for years. But we don't really want it. Can you pull those soils up, Neil? We don't want it because it would require change. Do you realize that you may be praying for somebody to be healed? You know some people don't want healing? Because by being sick or, or whatever, it gives them something they're wanting. Sometimes it's attention. I've actually had somebody finally admit that to me years ago when praying for healing. And they said, yeah, but people come see me this way. Which is sad, but it's true. You see, many people want God's benefits, but we don't want God. Oh, my goodness. Many of us, if Jesus showed up and said, hey, I picked you, would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm fishing today, not now. Many of us, when Jesus said, listen, I want you to hang out in Jerusalem, and I want you to wait until you're endued with power from on high, you'd be like, for how long? Like, is this going to take all day? A week? We want God's benefit. We don't want God. If you have those soils, Neil, can you pull those back up for me? You see, we stepped out of that. We go from the Gentile core. We step into the outer core once we get past that phase. But we never press in deeper. You see, I wanted to share this with you guys today so you can understand something. These are the things of the reality of the world that we live in. And these are the things that we focus on. But we're not focused on the things of God. We just want to get through. We just want to get life. We want God's benefits. We don't want God. But God, give me, we want, to, we want to keep God like we do our cell phone. We don't necessarily want this thing to consume our lives, but we want to keep Him nearby because He's convenient. We want to call ourselves Christian, but we don't want to define what that term means. We don't want to live on mission for God because, you know, he did say go into all the world and make disciples. You know who he's talking to? Disciples. He said, these signs will follow them that believe. You know who the them that believe are? The ones who were converted. And you know what they were supposed to do? Pyramid. 
See, we don't want God. We've rejected His Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit consumes our life, then man, maybe, maybe I can't focus on my business as much. We're driven to success or whatever that means. We're driven to more, we'll, we'll, we'll leave one job to take another just because it pays more money. That's not always the best thing possible. We'll move from one city to another just because there might be more opportunity there. Opportunity for what? Because the disciples that we read about are the ones that traveled all over. The disciples we don't read about are the ones that lived in that town their entire life and served God their entire life. And that's many of us. Many of us are living in the area of which we were born and have never left. But are we truly serving God? Have we pressed in to the inner court? Have we gone into the holy place? Have we gone to the holy of holies? Or have we just settled, we'll just stay here in the outer court? I'll bring that offering once a week. I'll come in. Then I'm going about my life. God, give me all your benefits. God, heal all my diseases. Forgive all my iniquities. Renew my strength. Stay over there. Look at Ezekiel chapter 33. This is a prophecy by Ezekiel. It says, as for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you, as people do, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. When this comes to pass, surely it will come, and they will know that a prophet has been among them. Let's stand up. And Neil, if you just play some music. We're going to seek the Lord right now. Because I feel like the Lord showed me this for a reason. And I think too often we get caught up with the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and all the things. And we're like, God, give me all your stuff. But I don't want anything to do with you. You as a parent, if your children acted like that, mom, give me money. Dad, give me money. Give me a car and stuff. But I don't ever want to be around you. Just give me your stuff. You'd get sick and tired of it. Imagine what God feels like. So let's just take a moment and let's get right with God. And let's just close our eyes and let's just worship Him for just a moment. We worship Him. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. in the presence of God and let it pass right by you. Or you can let it change you. If there's nothing named that is above the name of Jesus, then don't let that thing keep you from pressing in.
Thank you, Jesus. Imagine if the apostles had acted like us. Imagine after Jesus had left, if they had just said, ah, we're saved, we're good. I don't need to do anything more. I don't need to press in. I don't need to share the gospel. You and I would not be standing here today if it wasn't for men and women devoting their life to the mission of sharing the gospel and making disciples of all nations. But we just want to take on the name of God. Father, forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. God, I pray today that we become a people devoted to you. That we will no longer just be stuck in the outside, but that we will press into what you have. Into your presence, God. To live in your presence. To be in your presence. That's all we want to be, God. Don't take your presence from us. We don't want to go without you. We want to be where you are. Oh God, what would the world look like if we fully sold out? What would our families look like if we fully sold out? What would our workplace look like if we fully sold out? What would our business look like if we fully sold out? What would our family look like if we fully sold out? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. an empty vessel just lift up your hands and say Holy Spirit fill me up Holy Spirit fill me up Holy Spirit fill me up you can go the rest of your life and just exist and be okay but if you want all that God has then lift up your hands and say Holy Spirit fill me up thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus. You need to know that you have a Father in heaven who loves you. And there's some in here that I'm feeling right now the Holy Spirit is saying that you never experienced the love of a Father. That He was not there for you. He was not there to raise you. That you felt rejected by Him as if other things were more important. But you have a heavenly Father who loves you. And while on this earth you may have never experienced that love or that Father hurt you in some way or did something or said something, your Father above loves you. Fill us up. Fill us up, Lord. Fill us up, Lord. Fill us up. Fill us up, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 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 empty inside anymore. I want more of you. Less of me. I want more of you. I want less of me. I want more of you. I want less of me. Father, I pray that we just choose you. That we choose you. That we choose to press in. To not allow people to do things for us, Lord, but to go and follow you with all that we have and all that we are, Lord. Bless the Lord, all my soul. And all that was, it is within me, bless your holy name, Lord. To worship you. You see, the Holy Spirit's moving on some hearts right now. And you have that opportunity to have your life transformed. But it's ultimately your choice. You get to choose. You can be full of the Holy Spirit. Or you can be an empty vessel. With the name of God placard on you. But it is your choice. Someday we will all stand and give an account to God. Of what we did with our time on this earth. I don't want to show that I wasted it. 
Some of you have lost your first love. See, at one point or another, you were, you were pressing in. But you've allowed these things to creep in unnoticed. And they've drawn you away. They've drawn your focus away. And now you're just trying to get by. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to open the altar up for just a moment. If anybody wants to pray for anything, because I feel like the Holy Spirit's doing something, there may be some that want hands laid on them. Maybe you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're just not sure how to go about it. I'll pray for you. Maybe you need healing in your body. I'll pray for you. Maybe you just need a touch from the Lord. I'll pray for you. But as we continue to worship, I just encourage you to come up, if that's you. But come into the arms of the Father. Thank you, Jesus, we worship you. We worship you. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Let's just give God the glory. We thank you, Father. We thank you for all the things that you have done. All the things that you continue to do. That you are good and your mercy endures forever. That you are good and your mercies endure forever, Lord. Lord, I pray that you convict our hearts of the things that we need to change. That we will not be lackadaisical in this life, Lord, but that we will fulfill the mandate that you've called us to do. Lord, I pray that you make yourself real in our lives. Lord, I pray that your spirit falls down upon us, Lord. That we can't help but be in your presence. That we are led and guided by you in every aspect of what we do. That we are full of the Holy Ghost and we are full of power, Lord. That we are full of faith. That we are a body that goes around doing the work of the mission, Lord, that you have called us to do. God, let you be big in our lives. You become big, this world becomes small, Lord. May we draw near to you. Press into your presence, God. Because you deserve it. You deserve the glory. You deserve the honor. Lord, we just bow our hearts before you as we press in. I thank you that, Holy Spirit, you're moving in our lives and that we are being filled each and every day, that we stay in your presence, that we don't just come together to get in your presence. Your presence goes with us everywhere we are, Lord. That we come together to be with you and worship you. Lord, I'm so thankful for what you're doing. I'm so thankful for what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Do you have anything, Jim? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Do you have anything, Jim? No? Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are so good. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, as we go out, I just pray that you lead us. in every aspect of our lives. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless your holy name. Be glorified in every part of us. As this new beginning unfolds. It's your mighty name. Amen. God's good, amen. You all have a wonderful week. Stay in his presence. God bless you guys.